You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel 3. If you're using the hymnal in the pew, it is page 235. And if you're using a digital device, just turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1 through 21. Uh, We are continuing a series on kings and kingdoms. And these beginning passages are helping us see God laying a groundwork for an everlasting kingdom. And in the midst of Israel's failures and judgment and sin, God sends a prophet to speak a word, to anoint his king. And today we want to look at the calling of this prophet and how we might learn how God calls us. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says, The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was located. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, here I am. He ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. I didn't call, Eli replied, go back and lie down. So he went to, and lay down. Once again, the Lord called, Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. I didn't call you, my son, he replied. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. Once again for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came, stood there, and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responded, speak for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something Israel in Israel that everyone who hears about it will shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I told him that I was going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are cursing God, and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family, the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down into the morning. Then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. 
Here I am, answered Samuel. What was the message he gave you? Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from him. Eli responded, He is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. As Israel, all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. Let us pray. God, may we see this calling of Samuel and may it stir up within us those of us who have been saved the moment in which you call to us and to those of us who do not yet know you, may we hear your call. May we know that you are good. May we know that you are Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, watching Tom and Jerry with Franklin the other day, and it was one of the episodes that's one of the classics. Uh, It's the episode where Tom gets killed and goes to cat heaven. And uh, as he goes to cat heaven, there is a train waiting there to those who are joining up, and they uh, get to go. It's called the Heaven Express. And uh, so there's this line and a ticket taker, and they are checking the qualifications of the, the cats that are coming there. And the idea, it seems, is what they're saying is, is how you got killed is how you know that you get entered on the Heaven Express. For example, uh, there was an accident. Uh, one of the cats was limping around in bandages, and on the back of his tail was a set of dog jaws attached to it. And so obviously he was killed by a dog, and so uh, I guess cats go to heaven that way. And then uh, the, the next cat came up, and he uh, revealed to the ticket t- taker, uh, took his hat off, and there was a, about a two-fit knot on the top of his head. So that obviously there was an accident where he was killed. So if there's an accident, you can go on the Heaven Express. And then the next one was this real big fat cat that walked up, and, uh, and they were talk- said, you know, you know, you were allowed to go onto the Heaven Express. And the, the joke was, as he turned this way, he was about an inch wide. So he had been flattened. And so obviously, if you've been flattened, you can get on the Heaven Express. And then it came to be Tom's turn. And of course, he died trying to kill Jerry. And so the ticket taker said that if you're to get on the Heaven Express, you have to go and get his forgiveness uh, before you can get on the Heavenly Express. And your time is, is it's about to leave. So you need to do something about this. So Tom goes back and he does several different things. He tries to be nice to Jerry to get him to sign the certificate of forgiveness. He uh, pleads with Jerry to sign the, for, the certificate of forgiveness. He offers a trade of cheese for him to sign the certificate of forgiveness. And uh, finally, Jerry signs a certificate of forgiveness, but Tom has run out. And we see poor Tom is being stewed by uh, uh, Spike, the devil demon dog, uh, at the end. But then at the end, all of a sudden, Tom wakes up, and he had just slept too close to the fire, and his 
tail was smoking and so he had just dreamed all this and he runs over and grabs up Jerry and starts hugging him and kissing him and Jerry's like I, I don't know what just happened you know I thought of that and it's a it, it's a one of the classic stories of Tom and Jerry and one of the the funny ones and it made me think as I was watching it you know this is really a picture of how many people think that you can get to heaven that you can get to heaven by doing good works. Uh, some think that you can get to heaven by pleading with God. Some people think that they can get to heaven by doing a trade. You know, uh, you've heard someone say, God, give me uh, this um, new girlfriend, this new car, this new job, and if you do this, then I will live my life for you. And, you know, it's kind of like a double, double reward for them. I'll live my life for you and then you'll take me in the end, right? So there's kind of a double uh, agreement there, one-sided agreement there. And then there's other people who will say, you know, um, I know and I'm assured that I'm going to go to heaven because my family were members of First Baptist Church. They were members of First Baptist Church for years. Well, when was the last time you've gone to church? That's what I would probably normally ask them next. Well, I haven't been for 20 or 30 years. Well, friends, that's not set aside a salvation. That, that's not what church membership looks like. If you've not attended a church in two or three years and you haven't given or showed up or attended or served or done anything, that is not church membership. That's just having your name being kept on an electronic roster somewhere. That's not real membership. That would be like me saying I'm an Uber driver just because I have a car and I never take any riders. That's just not what church membership is. Church membership does not save you. It's, a, it's an agreement or a sign of believers who say, I've seen a work in this person. I know that God has done something here, but it's not something that saves. There's other ways. There's even... Ways that people think that they're saved because they turn to false religion, a man-made religion. And you know what's funny is all of the false religions are really of a little g-god in which they've been given some sort of spiritual steps that they can control the way to get to heaven. If they do these things that they might be able to get saved. But friends, this is far from the picture of the Bible. The, the picture of the Bible is, is that God has saved us, that God is doing the work. You see, the answer is not within us for salvation. It's on the outside of us. It is God doing a work. It is God doing the miracle of changing us. The source of salvation is not within us and what we can do and what we can conjure up, but instead it is on the outside of what God has done through his power, through his plan, through his work, through his son Jesus Christ. And all of the Bible talks about this. I mean, the words even used for salvation shows that it is God himself that is the source of salvation and bestower of this life. That if we are saved, it is happening to us and not in us, that we can do it ourselves. In other words, look at some of these words. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ Jesus. In 2 Peter 1.4, we are partakers of the divine nature. In John 1.13, we have been born 
of God. This is something we have been done for us, born again in John chapter 3. We are a new creation according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That is, we have been recreated by God. We have been chosen out of the world according to Jesus in John 15. We are rescued according to Galatians chapter 1. We are redeemed according to Galatians chapter 3. We have been made alive according to Ephesians chapter 2. We have been chosen and adopted according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 and 5. We have been brought from death to new life in Romans chapter 6. All of these things are things that God has done to us through his mighty work through Jesus Christ. The Bible also says that we have been called by Christ. That is what I want us to look at today. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, 9, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Romans 8, 28, for those called according to his purpose. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, consider your calling. 2 Thessalonians 2, 14, he called you to, uh, he called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you might proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Friends, today I want us to celebrate the calling that we have received in Christ, that all of us have been called and been made new out of our sins into a new life in Christ. Today we're going to look at this calling of the prophet Samuel. The people were wicked. God was silent. Yet God was moving in history to bring about a prophet who would choose his king Um, Both a king who is a man after his own heart, but also his true and everlasting king, Jesus. In the beginning of Samuel's ministry, we see him receiving a call that helps us to see our calling of salvation in Christ. I want to just to see three truths about God's calling. The first is this, God calls us despite our status, despite our status. Now here we read in verse 1 that the the boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. We see that there was decay, degrade, and there was not many people whom God would have called to such an important task of being a prophet. And yet, and God in his wisdom and provision had moved the world through really the prayers of of a a young girl named Hannah. How Hannah had prayed for her barrenness and how she pleaded with God to give her a son and that she in turn would then give that son to God. And we read that in chapter one. And then in chapter two, we see that God blesses her with a son. And exactly as Hannah had promised, she obeys and she gives over Samuel to Eli the priest to say, use him in service of God. 
God used this amazing story of this young girl pleading and praying to call out someone in the midst of a dark time in the world. And friends, this is just a continuation of what God has done through Scripture, isn't it? All through Scripture, we see him calling people that we would not choose, that, that the world would not choose, that out of darkness he is called to calling these people. God chose Abraham in, in a city far away who in no recollection or no literature do we read that he was some faithful Jew, but instead he knew of God, his family knew of God, and yet God called him out to form a people, to form a people for God. God chose Jacob over Esau. He cho- chose Joseph despite his circumstances. Moses was saved from a Hebrew girl by putting him in a reed basket, being raised up in Pharaoh's house. By then, even after killing uh, a, one of Pharaoh's people and fleeing, God still used Moses. Look at this providential, sovereign word of God. Rahab, the prostitute, and Ruth, a Moabite, are in the genealogies of Jesus. These are people that we would not choose for God's plan, yet in God's sovereignty, in His goodness, He chose them. In verse 2, we see one day Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place before the lamp of God had gone out. Samuel was lying down in the temple where the ark of God was located. Here we see that here Eli, in the middle of the night, is sleeping, and it says that the lamp of God was going lit, and there's kind of a double reading here that it is both early in the morning that the lamp is about to run out of oil, but also that there is a spirituality that is lacking in the land. And in the midst of all of this, God calls the unlovely, God calls the unlikely. God begins to call out to Samuel. And if you notice something, he keeps calling Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel keeps running into the other room and waking Eli up and saying, Eli, I'm here, I'm here, you're calling me. And Eli says, go to bed, man. I'm not calling you. And it's finally after the third time he realized, oh, God's at work here. And it's interesting here that we see uh, that right in the middle, it says that it, it is before Samuel knew God. See, again, this story over and over again shows the sovereign work of a mighty God who calls us out of darkness who doesn't choose us because of something within us or something we've owed, but that out of his love for us calls the unqualified. I mean, this is how we see the the rest of Samuel's ministry. We see Saul, when he is called as king, he responds, I'm not a Benjamite from the small, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest of Israel's tribe, and isn't my clan the least important of all the clans of the Benjamite tribe? So why have you said something like this to me? Samuel, uh, Saul is shocked that, that they would want him to be king. In the same way, when David was chosen as the, the youngest and the smallest of all of his brothers, and yet he was called because of his love for God, because God chose him out of not 
the description and character of the world, but instead the heart of his sovereign will and plan. Second Samuel 7, King David says this, he went in, sat in the Lord's presence and said, who am I, Lord God? And what is it, my house, that you have brought me this far? What you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God. You have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. David knew that you, this is just a small thing to you, God, but to me, I cannot fathom that you would choose me. Isn't this the way that we feel when God saves us? God me? God the one who's disobedient and wicked and who runs from you? God me? You would choose me? You know what's interesting about birthdays? You know, our birthday, we get celebrated. Now think about that for a second. What did we do in the birth process but show up, right? All we did was get created by God through our parents, and we were born. And yet we get celebrated on our birthdays. Shouldn't that really be our Mother's Day and Father's Day? I mean, shouldn't that be when they get celebrated? Uh, because it's, I mean, here, our celebration of our birthday— great you didn't mess it up for a year and kill yourself. I mean, that's what a great celebration to have. I mean, but our birthdays is a celebration of us. And in the same way, I hope that when we're standing before God at the judgment seat of Christ one day, that we're not celebrating ourselves. I have a feeling, actually, we're going to be doing the total opposite. We're going to be bowing the knee, knowing that it's only because of the work of Christ within us. God is going to say to you, well, why did you believe on my son while others didn't? You're not going to say, because I was smarter, because I, I had it all together. No, surely you're going to say, no, because it is your grace, God, because you have chosen me, not because I had done anything, but if it wasn't for you, God, and your work through your son Christ, I would still be spiritually dead. I would still be unresponsive. I would still be guilty. I would not be seeking out from you. It is your work within me, God, that has saved me through your son, Jesus. And we celebrate the call that we received in Christ. Let's be reminded that our salvation has nothing to do with our status. And because of this, number two, God assures us of our salvation. If God has chosen me and chosen you and called me and called you, and my salvation is not dependent upon myself but upon him, then my salvation is dependent on God's faithfulness. Isn't that whom I know that I can rely on? God is saving me, changing me, preparing me for glorification, being in Christ, in God forever. You know, Al Mohler noticed this week, he mentioned, he said, you know, it seems like to the outside world that what they really think is that maybe those people inside the church, those Christians, have just figured out a way to keep it all together, to hold it all together. If you come and ask us, we know it's not us keeping it together. 
We know it's the mighty hand of God. We know it is him that's kept our life, kept our salvation, keeping us together, keeping us faithful, keeping us safe, keeping us to him until he calls us home. We know the promise of John chapter 10 and verse 27 when Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Our salvation, if given to us by the grace of God calling us, then he will surely keep us till our dying day. I know so many people are swept up by works-based salvation that they, they keep it up and they keep working, they keep working. And all the while, all their life, they're so concerned that someday they're going to mess it up. Or in our life, because we know we're fighting against the flesh, we know that we make mistakes. And so that person who thinks works-based salvation is the way for salvation, they're floored. They don't know how to handle it. Because they ask themselves, oh my gosh, is this the day that I have not, that I've lost my salvation? Where we say, no. Look, if if Christ has done a grace work in us, if Christ has borne brought us to new life, if he's made us born again, if he's made us, gave us a new status, he is the one keeping us. He is the one saving us. And the reality is, it's just sort of like my, my, one of the boys in my youth group back a long time ago now, every summer he would want to get saved again. He just thought that for some reason that if, if he could just ask Christ to save him again, and he'd live the whole year like he wanted to live, and and then he'd come, oh, God, save me. I know I messed up. And he's a good boy. He wasn't going out and, you know, doing anything wrong. He just was sinful like the rest of us. And the reality is this. Christ has truly saved us. We are saved indeed. And he will keep us. And he will hold us fast. I'll tell you the most important lesson I've ever learned in this is when my grandmother passed away, my mom's mom. She was stri- uh, stricken by a, a very severe stroke. And the right side of her body was paralyzed for really the, the, the last seven years of her life. She couldn't really speak. She could grunt and sometimes she could say yes and no when she got really angry at you. <laughs> she no, you know, and she, those, that, would, that would come out. I just remember, one of the things I'll remember and hopefully help me as I endure in life. I remember the first time that my aunt, who was her caretaker, brought her to church and wheeled her up beside the end of the pew. My grandmother had faithfully attended a little church, one-room church in the holler of Virginia. We have hollers in Virginia too, as well as Kentucky. I know they're both. There was this one-room church that she was raised and, and worshiped her whole life. And though she was paralyzed and in that wheelchair, bound in that wheelchair, the worship pastor said, let's all stand and sing to the Lord. She tried everything she could to stand up. She got frustrated because she couldn't stand up. But out of a miracle of the Lord, she started to sing the songs. She started to sing the songs of grace It gave me comfort because she knew even in those days, even in her last days, Christ was holding her fast. And it wasn't because she was the most loving 
grandmother. And it wasn't because she was the most faithful church member. It wasn't because she did all these things. She would sing a song knowing that the rock of ages had saved her and would keep her and hold her fast. She would sing, not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring simply to the cross I cling. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Friends, we know our only hope and assurance is Christ himself. His sovereign work, his choosing us, his calling us out, the miracle he did within us assures us of our salvation. But God continues to call us, and God has called us to share his message. Verse 11 through 14, the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that everyone who hears about it will shudder, and on that day I will carry out everything against Eli, everything I said about his family. From beginning to end, I told him that I am going to judge his family forever because of his iniquity. He knows about his sons are cursing God and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family, the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. Friends, a reminder to us is God has saved us though we were unqualified and then qualifies us to share the gospel because of the work he has done in our lives. Samuel has been called to share the word of God and for us, we are called to share the word of God. It is his first ministry to deliver some of the worst news you could ever deliver anyone. Eli, the priest of the Lord in in the temple, his sons, uh, his sons were out cursing God, sleeping with women, and Eli did nothing about it. Here's to show that both the action of sin and the inaction of stopping sin are equally disobedient in the law in the eyes of God. Here, God curses him and says, look, you are not only not forgiven, not only am I taking you out of the priestly line, but I am not even going to allow any sacrificial offering to be counted to you to be saved. Friends, that is a pretty hard first message to deliver. And it doesn't get any better with Samuel. Samuel has to go and remove Saul, and he has to go and give strict messages. And friends, that is our calling in this culture and in this day. We are taking an unpopular, un a hard message for people to hear that the God of the universe who created us and and is against sin just as he was today as he was thousands of years ago, that God is still the judge of sin, that God still cares and hates sin. And this message is hard. It is a stumbling block for Jews. And yes, it it is foolishness to the world. The first Samuel 15, 22, he tells Saul, he says, look, to obey is better than sacrifice. It is an obedience to God that we must go. 
But here's the good news that we give the hope to share. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and the Gentile. Look, God loves us and is against sin, but in His graciousness and His mercy, He has, in His election to save, has slain His Son for His people because sin deserves wrath of God. Christ took the wrath that we deserved and through Jesus Christ he was dead buried and rose again and the promise of the scriptures is this is that those who repent and believe will be saved Friends, this is good news it is harsh news it is hard news it is real news but friends it's good news and we must not shrink back from our calling of our salvation in God you get to offer Christ freely to unbelievers. And even though they might say, oh, I have sinned too terribly for God to choose me, you get to bring this wonderful, life-giving message. Oh, friend, it is not based on you. It's on His gracious love to you. Come, come, come to Him. Friends, we should praise Him today. We should run to Him today to see that the Lord is good. Today, if you do not know Christ as Savior, you need to repent and believe. Acts 16, 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Friends, we must share the news. And all of us have to play a part. It is not some priestly role of the pastors. It is not some special role of missionaries. It is not some special gifting of just evangelists. God says all of us to go all of us to share the good news, all of us to be prepared to give the hope of the gospel to those who ask. There was Edward Kimball, who was just a shoe salesman, who was a Sunday school teacher, who, who was convicted to share the gospel. He shared the gospel with a co-worker named Dwight. Dwight ended up being saved. His name is somebody that we know as D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody began to be one of the greatest evangelists in history. Moody was preaching and a man named Frederick Meyer was deeply stirred and as a result began a nationwide preaching ministry. He began to share the gospel and he shared the gospel with a young baseball player. This baseball player began convicted by the Lord, began sharing the gospel with his friends and then he began to share the gospel with millions. Billy Sunday was this young uh, baseball player, one of the great speakers of history. When Billy Sunday preached the gospel in Charlotte, North Carolina, that businessmen in the area came to know Christ and they thought, we need to have Billy Sunday come back and do a revival and, and call people to be saved. And that day that they couldn't call, they asked a man named Mordecai Ham, who was called to preach the gospel in that area. And that person, uh, somebody was saved, not many people that night, but a few people were saved. But there was one man named Saved that most people knew, a young farmer boy named Billy Frank. And that man, Billy Frank, we know as Billy Graham, went on to share the gospel with millions. Friends, we must be reminded that we all are playing a part in the redeeming message of God. We have been called out to go call others to Christ. Will you be faithful to your salvation call and go and make disciples? God has called us out of the darkness and called us out of despair and to knowing Him 
And so we must respond to him in faith. Today, as we come to the Lord's table, do you celebrate Christ's calling on your life? That you ran from him, but yet he ran and chased after you? Do you celebrate today the life that was changed? Will you celebrate the God of the Bible and Son Christ who died for you? Today, as we gather, may we celebrate and remember the work of God in calling us to salvation. And if today you have not been saved, if God is calling you, trust in Him. Imagine you are a little sheep caught in a thicket and you can't free yourself. You're cold and thirsty and hungry and you're tired from bleeding and calling out for help. And the more you struggle, the more you try to free yourself, the more the briars dig into your flesh, the more blood it flows. And finally, into your despair, you give up and finally you hear the call of a shepherd, your shepherd, calling you. You relax as he pulls you from the thicket. He bandages you up. And he saves you. Friends, are we not two-legged sheep in the same condition? Caught in the thicket of our sin and disobedience? That the harder we try to make sense and fix the mess that we're in, the stronger of the bondage of sin it becomes. But friends, there is a gracious shepherd calling your name. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. He is calling you. He is calling you. Answer back and give your life. He will be at your side in a moment. He will free you from the thicket of sin. He will bond your wounds. He will feed you in his word. He will put you over his shoulders and carry you safely back into the fold. May we trust in him. May we listen to his call. And today, may we be thankful for our calling in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. God, we ask you this morning, as we have been reminded in your word, that it is not in us, but it is from you that we are saved. May we, in your goodness, Lord, trust you. May we see the graciousness and mercy of your hands. And may we see that we can trust you with all of our life. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow him.